My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Garrett Light, founder and CEO of the eponymous eyewear brand. Garrett and I discuss the origins of the brand, why they're proud to be made in China, and how after 10 years in the business, they're only getting started. Garrett Light, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. So you are like someone that I've always kind of admired and a lot of my friends know and know really well, but like I would say like you and I have been like this sort of like three degrees separation for so long. Uh, for sure. Because like Wolf knows you, Pesco knows you, like all like all the dudes that I'm like kind of buddies with, they all know you. Yeah. And, and when I started listening to your to your podcast, I was like, oh man, like Jeremy knows, like we like... Yeah, he knows we these run dudes in the for same sure. Crowds. Like you run in the same crowd, we just never crossed each other's paths. Yeah. So thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. I can't believe I'm I'm on the show. It's in like really good company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, some heavy hitters. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about like your life and your background because you know as I've known you and known like your your family, your company all this stuff, like you are definitely someone whom I was very, very familiar with your product way before I even knew you were a person, you know, and not just your father, but like, like Oliver people's glasses. And then I think I might've first heard about you through, I think you did like a collab with McNary. I did do it. Yeah. When was that? That was like 2014, something like that, like 13, 14. Yeah. Right around there. Yeah. Um, I actually met him through Babenzine who's also on your podcast. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, he called me up. He was like, you got to do this. You know, you got to meet my boy, Mark. I remember Mark's so crazy. Yeah, he's a, in such he's a, a great wild way. one. I literally remember, like, because our first call, he was like in Miami and on a balcony and his kid was, it was like so hectic. But um, no, it was cool. Yeah, we did it. We did a collab, uh, a couple actually. Yeah. We made a frame in America, which was really rad. Uh, and so Mark McNary. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was very successful. Did you get the all caps emails? All caps emails. Yeah. And like, yeah, just short emails and all caps. And yeah. Yeah. He's such, uh, I love McNary more than anything. So I want to talk a little bit about like your life because you are someone who like, you know, you work for more or less a family owned run company. And you're also someone who's, you know, I would say a lot of people like for me as I was younger, a lot of people have these relationships with family and making like their products. And like, you're someone who's actually like stayed in like the family biz. Kind of. Please, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so the story goes, obviously I grew up in Oliver Peoples. My dad founded it in 1986. I was born in 1984, surrounded by fashion and eyewear and that whole business. But where was this at? In Los Angeles. In LA? And, okay. Well, the store was in Beverly Hills, Sunset Plaza. Right. Um, and that my parents separated. My mom moved to Venice and my dad stayed in the Beverly Hills area to be close to the store. And um, certainly grew up around it, but totally just like a more like a kid, like sports, huge part of my life, played tennis in college on a scholarship, music, huge part of my life, fashion, not so much. I mean, just part of the family, but yeah. like not what I wanted to do with my life. Right. Went to college, got a degree in journalism, um, which was great. And it translates just because of storytelling and structure and things like that. And then I went to work for my dad, but he sold the company. He sold all of people's to Oakley right when I started. Oh, dang. And Oakley then subsequently sold to Luxottica, which is the, a beast. Yeah. And about three years in, I, I started my, I was like, 
I got to get out of here. I, I pretty much like kind of reverse engineered the whole thing. Like I started in merchandising and then I moved to sales. Then I moved to, they hired John Buscemi and I was like oh all God. about Buscemi and Lucci and all those yeah, dudes. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just mentored him and we did Mosley tribes, which was a brand from OP and I was in the marketing that, so that was kind of like related to my dad and design and then I came up with the idea while I was living in Venice. I was like, I want my own. I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't, I didn't even call myself an entrepreneur. I didn't really know what that was more or less, that you could be one. Yeah. <laughs> like for a living. And, um, I just had that spirit in me and I had to get it out. So I wanted to open a store in Abbott Kinney cause that's where I lived and that's yeah, where all yeah. the cool kids were. I mean, that, that is, I mean, if you're going to open a store, that's, that's the place to do it. I mean, back then too, it was like a, a little bit ahead right yeah. now. It's like, everybody's doing it, but, um, so that was the idea. I went to go open the Malibu store, the Oliver People's Malibu store, right. learned that part, fell in love with the consumer and that whole experience and being an optician and being a specialist and an expert at the science of optics and falling in love with the product itself. And mostly because the consumer, it was such a necessity and so important to their overall look. It's like on their face and so personal. Right. So I really fell in love with that. And then I started my own thing. And well, um, for 10 years, I mean, my dad, you know, he worked at OP, we were competitors. Really? I'm legally wouldn't, you know, he's my dad. Like we'd have Thanksgiving. We'd talk business. Okay. Cause I went to my dad's house and it's how, how's it going? You know what, what, but like legally he was working for Luxottica. I mean, Oh snap. So it wasn't, it's not a family. I mean, I don't no, want to say I'm in the family industry, but sure. it's definitely not the family business. And candidly speaking, I think at that time he was on the second half of his eight, you know, three year contract on the, like the second contract. Sure. You know, they were just, for him, they were just, he was just a puppet at that point for them. Like they didn't, I understand. you know, they just kind of felt like they had to keep him. So I think, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't competitive. He was very, he was like vicariously living through Garrett Light, California Optical. He was oh, like, this damn. is rat. Like, I want your customer. <laughs> so okay. it's not the family business. It's ac actually. Damn. Uh, that one's, that's sold. That's, that's Italian now. So, well, okay. Let's, let's jump back just a little bit Sorry, further. Fast. No, no, it's great because. So much of this too, you know, I mean, it, like for me, I was just like, wow, I was like this guy, like he's been making glasses for all these people, you know, I mean, it's in the family, it's in this stuff. And to know also, you know, as a side note, wait, you, you studied journalism. Why, why the pivot? Um, well, I wrote for like my high school newspaper. I was, I, I'm the, I got a full scholarship for tennis and I got into the school I wanted to go to way early. Where'd you go to school? Uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay. I, I went to, on a, I went on a recruiting trip to Miami. I went on a recruiting trip to Denver. There was, these were the schools that were interested in me for tennis. Yeah. Dude, but this is crazy. All my buddies went that were Southern California tennis players, the ones that I liked the most. They all chose Cal Poly. Um, and then you're studying just, journalism, yeah, just, playing and tennis. And also it was this college where you had to declare. You couldn't go to school for a year and then pick. So oh. I'm, you're talking about a 17-year-old who's like, well, I write for the high school newspaper, and I love <laughs> writing. I love creative writing. Right, right, you right. Know, um, I'm not like a math, math and science guy. Um, but in any case, I chose journalism, and I loved it. It was perfect for me. What did you love about it? Um, there's nothing I didn't love about it. I love creative writing. I love, I love grammar. I loved media law. I loved learning about the, you know, the relationship between business and truth and all, and all of that, that we, yeah. in those classes. Right. Um, man, there was not much I didn't like. I love sports. So I was like the sports beat writer. I love music. I was, the, I wrote a bunch of great, like, I can't remember some bands that came through and I would like interview them. One that comes to mind is Ozo Motley. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> they like came through Cal Poly and I like sat down and interviewed the whole band, you know? So just like, um, it was just cool. It, it allowed me to, to creatively write, but also like connect with creators. Yeah. 
but people it, doing things. Yeah. Do you, do you think some of that sort of kind of inspired you also like being in the, you know, like you were saying earlier, like, you, you know, you go to Thanksgiving and you know, your, your father helped, you know, create this insanely incredible company, you know, making glasses, doing all this stuff. Were you like, I want, you know, when does the entrepreneur bug kick in? Somewhere like right after, like, I mean, it was always there. There just wasn't that self-awareness and acknowledgement. Like there was always like, I wanted to create, like I was the kid who in high school, like created a, I didn't really create it, but like I drew out what, um, it was like a sweatsuit company. Like I was going to make like track pants Yeah, (laughs) and I was like, had a name, which I don't remember. And I had a book and I drew it all out. And like, I always wanted to create brand brand. I mean, I don't love that word now, but. Yeah, brands are somewhat tainted now, but I know, I know exactly. But they what you were mean. companies, you know, branded companies, yeah, um, and ideas, and it was always there. I just um, didn't realize that you know it could lead and do it that way until um, I really just took the leap of faith in in twenty two thousand nine. So, what was that like? So, you're out of school, and I mean. I've, I assume your your dad kind of gave you some advice, being it was in that, or, or no? He, I mean, not really that I remember. I, I, he was my mentor at Oliver People's. Like, so right. he, I was learning design and marketing for him under his wing, getting paid by, you know, getting Oakley checks. So, right. uh, and he probably favored me a little bit. But then afterwards, um, I think... Actually, if I could take it back, I wish I would have gotten more. I was very like, I still am like, it's hard. You know, I want to be independent and I want to do things myself and I want to make my own mistakes. And I was difficult. I'm very coachable, but I wasn't really coachable. Even when I was in tennis, like he would drive me crazy. We had a very difficult relationship. Yeah. It was tough. Um, there was like a whole thing when I quit tennis, I had to write him a long letter. Our communication was tough as a, as a kid. So yeah. You, I think you were kind of going there about just like inspired by, I'm, I, I find, I, I get a high off like watching great people succeed and do things like right. relating it to sports. Like I will watch every celebration of a championship, no matter the team till the end, just look at with a huge smile. I'm a huge Dodgers fan, but I watched all three giants world series celebrations. Like it's just, I get a high out of it. It's just like, I just want that level of victory. And my dad has that too. We're very competitive, but so advice, you know, I think I didn't, I think I avoided, I didn't want it. I was like, no, leave me. I want to do, you this. want to be self-made versus being, you know, Oh, that's my dad or, right. you know, Mr. White's son. It was really important to me. And, and there's also no avoiding that. Like I think some people for better or worse, like they don't give me credit. I'm not saying I, I hear it. I'm just saying they must, they must sure. just be like, this is the son of all of it. It's easy. Right. Yeah. I've heard that, that it was easy for him. Um, and that, that, that motivate, that motivates me. I had that a lot with my dad in the sense that my, my dad was a musician for a long time. And so I felt, you know, I wanted to be a musician too. My dad has a, a perfect pitch into which like, I didn't even know was a thing that like he could, he could hear something like say an Elton John song goes on the radio or whatever. And he'd walk over to the piano and he'd just nail it. And I could never do that. I could never read music. He was in a band and so much of, and I'm not saying this is the same as you, but so much of like me, cause I came to New York to do music and so much of me trying to do this was, was not, was I, I wanted to be this type of person, but I also kind of wanted to show my family, not just my dad, but my family that like, I wasn't Russ's kid. And in a way that's also why I moved to New York 
And I'm not saying that like that's the same thing for you at all, but I definitely think there's something that happens at a certain age in your life when you try to separate who you are known as with who you're trying to be. Right. And I mean, it, it's, you know, it sounds like, so, you know, you're playing tennis, you're doing, you know, journalism, you're doing this stuff. But what excited me the most was you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to make something and I'm going to make something on my own. And, you know, like, in, and it's true, you're lucky, you get some good advice, but then your competitors. And that's the thing that caught me off guard the most while I was just sitting here. What, what was that like? I'm not saying this is succession here, by the way. I'm not trying to paint that. God, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So what was it like? Candidly speaking, you know, and being privy to like knowing what, what he was going through, there was, they had, they were at a point where it was, they were just going into Luxottica's formula. Right. Super vertical. And Luxottica, what are the other companies that are Luxottica? Oh, God. I mean, everything from Lenscrafters to Ray-Ban to Sears Optical to, I mean, everything. Oliver People's, Oakley. Uh, I don't know all their licenses, but it would be this like, is like Chanel's. This is like the Del family, because yeah. they're also Brooks Brothers. I don't think they have Chanel, but it would be, there's, you know, there's a dozen of A lot, yeah, a lot of licenses. Brands. Okay. I mean, it's, it's. So they're big. And also the insurance companies. Oh, so heavens. The insurance companies, the machines that they cut the lenses on, the factories, it's. <laughs> completely vertical. Okay. Um, so this is, this is behemoth behemoth. And you know, at this point when I launched my company, he'd sold it. So it's 2010 and he sold in five. So we're talking about five years later. Yeah. And they're kind of already, you know, the company itself and the customers, the wholesale wholesale customers are, you know, it's lost. It's losing a lot. There's not much he can do at this point other than be a, uh, a voice of, to those that work there, like a voice of, um, motivation that just things aren't changing and we're still all over people's right. That's what his, and designing the collection, of course. Sure. Uh, that's his main skill set, talent wise. So, like, you know, that's really what he was God gift to him as an artist and a creative eyewear designer, one of the best ever. Um, but beyond that, like at that point it was that, which they don't, I don't feel like Luxottica appreciates that, that much. That's not really, they just, they kind of buy equity. Yeah. Brand equity, you know, no, they you're exactly right. So, um, so candidly speaking, it was easy. I mean, designing a great collection with what I had learned, building a brand that was named Garrett Light and about the things that I love, like California, Venice Beach, my friends and family and myself, the heritage, that fortunately it came naturally to me and I, and I, I must have done a good job at it. Um, but it was easy to take the customer because they were looking for it. His old customer that was like kind of over what it was becoming Yeah, with their door. It was open. They were like, when I walked in, they were like, Oh man, is this what it, what is it? Can it, will it maybe be like what all of our people's used to be like, just in terms of like customer service and delivering and quality because OP's quality went down a little bit. It had to, it went from Japan to Italy and it's mass produced and, and all those things. People still buy it like crazy. I mean, it's, it's the most, one of the most iconic luxury, probably the only first single category luxury eyewear brand. Right. I don't, you know, they were, they did it better than anyone. So nothing, they built something that's like, I'm still not, I'm still chasing it. I mean, like I, I'm not there yet, but, but, but building a business that was sustainable and worked for the first five years, that part wasn't that hard. We made great glasses. People reordered them. We gave great service. You know, I built a team. Mm-hmm. I make. I mean, it was hard. I'm making it sound easy. No, but, it's okay. But the the door was open. I just I just walked in it like right. the right way. But there's. I mean, I, you're being very 
you know, very humble here and, and I appreciate that. But I think something that I will definitely call out is, you know, there's a lot of, from whatever stories that you you are hearing or referring to, I have zero idea of because something that you had did, I didn't know there was any connection between, you know, you guys and your father at all. And like Garrett Light as a brand came in full force. And what was really exciting to me about it as someone who, you know, I can't wear contacts. I've worn, worn glasses my whole life. I've bought tons of pairs of glasses from eBay to you name it. And it was something that felt like something that only my friends knew, but it was still big enough that I could like mess with it. You know, like I could, I could get into it. So it was like that you guys were in this perfect sweet spot that it was, I mean, you were kind of like a radio head in a way, in the sense that like, you know, no, no, in the sense that like, this is special to me. It's also special to all these other people, but these other people don't know that it's special to me. You know, it was like my insider thing. Like, Interesting. I like that. Because especially with glasses, like, I don't want everyone to know what I have. Like, totally. this is my thing. But at the same time, you know, you do want to be able to get another pair. <laughs> right. Like, you want to be able to continue. That's the inter- problem with, like, having a rad vintage pair. Yeah. You put your elbow through it, and it's done, and you can't get another one. Yeah. And the brand I that... I just did that literally to a vintage pair. Of glasses. Are you serious? Like yeah, I was doing something in my garage. <laughs> Um, the brand that you had built was like, was really incredible and it still continues to be, you know, to this day. And so I'm just curious, I mean, cause you had said that like, oh, you know, you kind of just got started, but you haven't really stopped. And to do that and to do what you're doing at scale takes a lot more than what you were saying than just walking through the door. So how, how does this happen further? I mean, you're right. I don't often give myself enough credit. I mean, First thing was just bootstrap. Like I did everything. I've done every job that everybody currently has in the company. Everything. I mean, I per, like I put the frames in a briefcase. I traveled to a hundred stores in Europe by train. They didn't even speak English. Are you serious? Many of them. Yeah, I opened every first hundred door in Europe myself in a, like in a month. Okay. Took the orders. I had a hundred percent conversion rate in Europe. In the U.S., it was probably half. Um, we can talk about that later, but or not. It's not even that interesting. <laughs> or maybe it is. Well, I was going to say, what, what is, let's talk about that now. Like, what do you mean? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, the Europeans were just ready for us. Well, how they, did you pitch yourself to them? Just out of curiosity. Well, well, first of all, when they don't speak English, the very first thing yeah. was my father's Larry Light and found it all over people's. That will buy you more time. I mean, I okay. had, you know, you say those words if they, you know, the via email or phone call or whatever. But then once I got in there, I think it was just the spirit of the collection, the, the campaign that I had created, which was based, was a photo shoot. We did at Jelena, which was like my neighbor, this, uh, the, this restaurant in Abbot Kinney is super popular. I'm sure. Yeah. No, listeners know it. And, um, it was with my friends, but they were the chef and the, the waitresses and the charcuterie people. And it was just all powerful. The whole normal thing. people, not, not fancy models for sure. Well, they're beautiful people, but yes, yes, normal people. Yeah. And it was powerful and it worked. It worked when I came to New York and I set up meetings with, you know, L and Vogue and GQ and women's wear daily. And I, and they all loved it. And how many people were in the company at the time? No, but me, that's it. I mean, me and three people that worked at the retail store holding down for it while I was launching the brand. Because I worked at the retail store every day for a year, almost every day. Jeez. And then the brand came out. And then Elena, who's our design director today, she's been with the company 10 years. I hired her on Craigslist. She was working at the store. She was really the first hire to the wholesale business. Wait, 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 sorry. Wait, you hired her on Craigslist? Yeah. So you were, you were just like putting Craigslist ads out there for... Yeah. 
pretty much. That's amazing. And and vetting the talent myself, and okay. she just seemed great. So she's been with you ten years, and, yep, and so she's anyway, the design director now. So, and you, then, so she team. went on the second trip okay. and helped me open. You know, the second trip included Switzerland and Italy. Like the first one was France, England, and Germany. The second one got a little bigger, like Scandinavia. You know, and then U.S. was what, whatever it was, and then, um, you know, so to answer your question. I did everything. And then she helped me do everything. And we, we sold the collection. We then shipped it. We collected the money. We designed the frames. We manufactured the frames. We, you know, ev- everything. And then I, I do remember at one point when we had to make a reorder because it was doing really well and everybody was reordering it, sending a PO to the factory and just, oh, yeah, we need 250 of those and 150 of those. And I was like, this is not how this works. And I hired a planner. And like a merchandise planner to correct to help yeah. us build out a strategy for purchasing, you know, like ranking our accounts, ranking our collection, and it helps then, with cash flow and stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. and it was a huge hire. She's no longer with us, but she eventually became uh, CFO or C- COO. And um, basically, to answer your question, I built a great team and I hired fantastic people that were great at their job and I empowered them and I listened to them um, and I contributed good ideas and we built it together and I let go of the people that weren't good as quickly as I could, which was super hard in the beginning. And then I realized how important that was and it's still super hard, but you know, I've let go of best friends to people that I liked, you know, just really, it's it's part of it. You know, you have to, you can't go to war with the, without the perfect team. It's, it's a war. I mean, it's a battle. There's competitors and that's how I did it. I mean, yes, they let me in the door, but then I built the perfect team or a really, really good team. And we have a great company culture and we have people that like coming to work and we, they all understand the mission and we value, uh, you know, personal happiness and they appreciate that. And they, they, I think our employees feel like I care about them and that it's a special place to work. And, and then of course we, because of the planning and all the, the, the that kind of focus, like we have, you know, we were the brand that could deliver and deliver on time and deliver stuff that sells. And right. You know, um, cause this is, these are great a, press. We were on celebrities, right? We were great retail experience. You know, we, we just knew our shit. And at the time you only had one store and then you were selling at other places for like third party commerce. We had e-commerce, and, e-commerce. And, we, and we had one store in Venice. And then in 2012, which was early on, we opened a store in La Brea 2015. We opened New York and San Francisco and then this year we're opening Austin and Silver Lake. So that's that's quick. That's super quick. And it, ten years this year. Next year is ten. Yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, in ten like ten years. Not that's fast, but also the fact that like you're and I'm not belittling other brands. Like you're still around. Like there's a lot of brands that I can mention. They go away. Ten years, and you're like, oh yeah, is that a thing anymore? Oh no, he got some creative director job over here. Or they had cash flow issues, or they couldn't deliver, or they couldn't do that. And and you know, and they're just selling clothes, which are obviously competitive. But I would argue that eyewear is probably like the single most competitive thing because it, you're competing against like what, like two companies? <laughs> that, and you're also competing at the, you know, yeah. I mean, you have two companies that own all the labels that are, they already have all the brand awareness and then you've got all the independent brand. I mean, yeah, it's super competitive. So how many employees do you have now? Um, we have 30, somewhere between 30 and 35 at our office. We have 15 in Amsterdam. Uh, we built a, just like a warehouse, a logistics center in Amsterdam as our yeah, hub for Europe. distribution. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's not third party. It's, we own it. And then, um, that, so 30 plus 15 plus 15 retail employees, 
60. Jeez. Plus, uh, I mean, then you start getting into sales reps and yeah, distributors. Yeah. It's, you know, when I send out the Christmas email and the thank yous, it's over 100. So to jump back, you're in Europe oh, and yeah. you're going and you said you had 100% conversion in Europe. And I, I, the one guy didn't buy, I almost cried on his floor in Amsterdam. Are you serious? I swear. So this is the weird thing is like, <laughs> you go from playing tennis, journalism stuff, to like in a way salesman and I would argue like salesman just because I've, I've been in that before, especially when you're like a traveling salesman, it's really thankless and you get told no a lot unless you're in Europe. So like, wh- why were so many people saying yes? Because your I product mean, is good, but you still have to reasons. talk. I mean, one, I came, all, that's what I said to the guy in Amsterdam. Like, I'm like, I came all the way from Los Angeles just to show you this collection. My name is on it. You know, it's good. Like, you know, it can sell, you know, it can sell like, sure. the frames themselves, you know, it's good enough to, to be in your store. Um, so I think there was that. I, I think there's a variety of reasons why certain people still bought. I think like this one guy in Paris, now that I've known them 10 years, I think they bought cause they, they missed out on all over people's exclusivity the first time we were offering exclusivity too. So I would go to the only the best. It wasn't like five accounts in Paris. It was like the best account in Paris. I'm going to give it to you for one year exclusive. Right. So they, I think, bought because they didn't want to miss, right? So there's that personality. Then there was the guy, um, you know, specifically thinking there's two cities in Fran- Fran- France that I will completely botch if I try to say. But in any case, smaller accounts who knew my dad. And I think when I went in there, they just felt it. They were just like, because they know it's more than just the frames. It's beyond that, especially for opticians and doctors. And at that that level, we're talking about not fashion doors. We're talking about opticians, optical doors. Places people actually buy glasses. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in Europe. Yeah. And, um, I think I would like to believe they just felt it. They felt the energy. They could, if you talk to my dad, a lot of people say we have a very similar cadence and, and are very similar in that way. And I, I think they felt the energy and like I said, the frames are good. They're good. They're based off vintage, classic, iconic eyewear that similar to OP had created in their time. We didn't reinvent the wheel. There weren't, it was only four frames. There weren't four frames nobody had ever seen before. You know what I mean? Right. They weren't copies either. They were the best of the best reiterated for a new generation. So I'd like to think some people just felt it. And um, is it just those two? There's, there's, there, there were those two types of people. It was a combination of, I can't miss this because he's offering exclusivity and he's the son of Larry Light. And the people are just like, no, this is good. And there's probably some people who are just like, oh, wow, I need this. Because no, it was recession. It was the recession, 2009. Yeah. And we just, we made our stuff in China. So it was really well-priced. Um, my whole philosophy was my iPhone's made in China. I don't care. Um, as long as it's ethical and well-made, there's only two ways to make a product, the right way or the wrong way. That's it. And if you know what you're doing, obviously I do. I look who I learned from. Um, that was my whole, like, that was my whole thing. And, and, and so there was the other people who were just like, no, this is, look at these five barrel hinges and look at these. I know the, I, I've sold this. I know this frame can sell. It's just up to this guy if he can actually create a brand that is like featured in magazines and celebrities like it and just sustain, create a sustainable business. This episode is brought to you by Away Travel. Away creates thoughtful products built for the way modern travelers see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and now they offer a range of essentials, all of which make your travels more seamless. Everyone has a unique travel style, which is why Away offers a range of suitcases made of different materials like polycarbonate, aluminum, and durable nylon, a variety of colors, and two carry-on sizes. So for whoever you are and whatever you need to pack, gifts, comfy clothes, holiday treats, Away has luggage that works for how you travel. 
Every suitcase comes with an interior organizational system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in. It also has a hidden and removable laundry bag that separates your dirty clothes. I, for one, am looking forward to rolling all my sport coats and sweaters perfectly packed with Away's incredible packing dividers. I gotta look good for the holiday dinner, and thanks to Away's travel system, my clothes travel wrinkle-free and looking good as new. Also, their four 360-degree spinner wheels guaranteed the smoothest roll, even through the most hectic of airports and stations. They even have a TSA-approved combination lock to keep your belongings safe. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash blammo to learn more. And if you're in the U.S., EU, U.K., Canada, or Australia, order by 11.59 on December 15th for free ground shipping with guaranteed free delivery by December 20th. Don't forget, Away has a 100-day trial. So if for any reason you're not happy with the luggage, return any non-personalized luggage for a full refund, no questions asked. For additional last-minute holiday shopping details, check out their website. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash blammo to learn more. So you sell it at even a more difficult time. And one of the things that like, as we've been talking, like you were referencing that, like, you know, you're Larry Light's son, you're Larry Light's son. But now it's 2019. And I'll be honest, a lot of people, including a lot of listeners, aren't going to know you as Larry Light's son. How does that make you feel now? I haven't thought about how that makes me feel, but I'm actually just kind of realizing in this moment because I'm a product of this generation. Like, my dad's not named Oliver Peoples. He is Oliver Peoples, but more people know me. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, you're out there. You're, yeah. I'm like part of, you're part of the brand. I mean, it, the brand is uh, cough, cough, your name. Yeah. Um, How does that feel? I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like, in, in terms of how things feel, it doesn't feel extra. I mean, I, sorry if that's not like romantic. It doesn't oh, it's feel like, okay. It's not that important to me. Uh, honestly, genuinely speaking, the things that make me happy um, are are a huge thing is is growth and my team and people within my company growing and getting bigger roles in life and building families and careers. Like using Elena or my CEO Heather has been with us seven years. Just like where they were and where they are now. Mm-hmm. And or anybody else that's just ha- like that is that makes me feel something great. Yeah. Um, being yeah, the popularity or being known it doesn't really drive me. Um, so you're more you're more empowered by your ability to lift others up. I think so. I mean, it's, it's, that's great. That's sounds a noble nice, but I think that really what it, it it's like that's what makes me feel things that um, and winning things. Well, there's a very polar opposite there. I know. <laughs> well, I don't have to beat that, but just like, I don't know, like I'm a competitor. So sports, you know, like I, I like winning. I want to be, you know, I want, I want to be, I want to be the best, well, what but is, it's not against my, yeah. What does winning mean then? Yeah. Are they, pol- are those two things polar opposites? Almost in the sense that like you want to win, but it's, so it's like you want to be on a team that wins, but it sounds like you're not interested in being well, the person that scores the winning goal. Yeah, I don't have to be the person. It's just losing isn't sustainable. Those people then lose their... If we lose, they lose. Everybody loses. You know what I mean? It's not a. It's not like a... I don't know. It's not like a no, high school right. basketball game. I mean, right. we just not a choice. You know, we, we could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I mean nobody's, I, nobody's, nobody's protected. You gotta like, you gotta, you gotta want to win. There has to be a will to be great. I guess that's a generational thing that I'm thinking of too, in the sense that like, I mean, I think we're about the same age, but our generations where it's like, you win and it's about you 
or you lose or, or no one talks about you or no one likes your Instagram or no one like you don't matter. Like one of the scariest things that people talk about now, and this is like all this Harvard Business Review studies is being forgotten. And in a weird way, you also have the previous generation, um, uh, excuse me, the, the newest generation, like Generation Z, which talks about how they want the right to be forgotten. And then you also, you know, it's where like, I want to have the ability, it's, it's actually something, and I won't get into this because it'll be a whole other they podcast. They made that choice though. Right. And like with... They just didn't know they were making it because they were too young. <laughs> well, and also, yeah, like my, I think about my daughter in the sense that she's had every photo, every day of her life, more or less, I think she's had a photo taken of her. And that is stored in a cloud across multiple servers across the world. I don't want to hear this. And, <laughs> and so it's like this, this thing about like being remembered and being forgotten. And it makes me wonder like how that drives people now in terms of their, like their careers and what they think about. And so when, you know, when you're talking about like, you know, you are empowered by lifting people up, but by winning, it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. To me. Yeah, I want to I try to find a way to articulate, but I don't know that we will. Like I, I just, as an, as a competitor and an athlete, I just hate losing. Well, who, who do you feel you're competing you know I mean? against? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to feel lost. It's like, it's not, I've failed many times at things and it's not a fear of failure. I'm just, I'm, I want to avoid it, especially what I've built in at this scale. Like it would be, na- it would be nasty, yeah. you know, at this point. So now I have a duty an obligation as in my role in this company to protect it. And unfortunately, if you're not growing, you're dying. It's just, the, especially in a wholesale business with inventory and you, you don't sell everything you buy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I have to pay my factory for all of it. So that will kill you. So it's just a real thing, you know? So maybe winning isn't necessarily the right thing, but it more or less, it's just like, it does motivate me. Yeah. It, it does that, that, that will to, to continue going. I want to jump to manufacturing real quick because I am someone who is all about things that are made in China solely because I've been to China and I've seen how things get produced there versus, you know, things getting produced in other countries. And I'm not here to try to like throw other places under the butts, but when I've seen, I've seen stuff manufactured in Italy and it's amazing. And I've seen stuff manufactured in China and Japan and they're all equally amazing. And I think there's like a certain stigma uh, from you know different generations about where things are made, but I've seen your guys' glasses in person multiple times. I have tons of people who own your stuff. I have some of your sunglasses; they're incredible. Thank you. Thank like you. what you know, and earlier you were saying like this this concept of like, well, my iPhone's made in China; it's made the right way or the wrong way. Where did that come from? That what that that pitch? <laughs> no, I mean just the idea that you're fine with that. Um, well, I wasn't sure where you were going with that because okay. I haven't seen. I haven't seen factories in China that are unethical, but we all know they're there. Oh, yeah. Well, mo- um, in most cases, no one's I, allowed to see them. Because, they're not yeah. only in China, though. I'm sure they're everywhere, yeah, right? Bangladesh, Malaysia, Vietnam. Um, we've always worked with the same factory, zero emissions, um, super ethical factory. They own their own um, farm, and they feed their staff and housing and all these things. Um, so that philosophy or that choice to make the product there was first derived from Mosley Tribes, which was Oliver People's Creation, which was a lower-priced luxury brand that was quite successful. Yeah, I I remember that. And so that was like, okay, that can do $5 million or whatever it did, be sustainable, have a great clientele, 
cool, all those things, great design and super good quality. And my dad always said this stuff's better than the Japanese. Like they just nobody makes it better than this one factory in China. He just always believed that. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- first of all, it came from there, just knowing that it was safe, like that I could create product at this one factory and that it would be high, high quality so that I would, you know, meet the standards. Um, and then it was recession driven. It was just price point. Like we were too, and when we first launched, um, now inflation were higher, but I mean, it was 220 when my competitors were 350. Right. Now we're 300. Um, but uh, that was huge. I was, uh, I was, whatever that percentage is, that's like 30% less. Yeah. So um, I was going value in, in a time of recession. It was value. And my, sale to myself was nobody cares about this iPhone that's made in China. Yeah. Not nobody do some people care, but it's clearly making an impact. So yeah, it was sort of just a combination of all that stuff. Just being a part of an experience that worked at this factory in China. The other thing is I wasn't afraid. I think honesty went a long way. I did. I stamped it, it said made in China right on it. That's not as common as you might think. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. So I just said, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to put it on there. I don't care. Like, yeah. I don't want the people to judge me by that. I don't, it was just like a firm belief. Like it doesn't matter. This is great product. Yeah. Tastemakers don't, in my opinion, and I, not just tastemaker, like, but yeah, they don't care. Like you get, you just know when something's special. Well, it doesn't matter where it's made. I mean, the thing that I want, unless wanna... it's really expensive and it's like in some amazing textile factory in Paris, you know, and I get that. I get that. I like guess. Maze and Birkin bags. And I get, I but get even all that. then, that's if there's special. an Hermes bag that's here and you know, Hermes has moved production around, Sure. Tons of times. And, but the thing is, people don't care about, and this is the point that I was trying to make too, is that people don't care so much about something about where it's made. They just want to make sure that they're buying the right brand. And I think what you've been able to do is you've been able to create the right brand. And so, look, I I don't care where you end up making your stuff as long as it still says Garrett Light and it's still the quality and the look that you've done and created. That's that's a much bigger thing. Like, and it's why you know, again, with this iPhone thing, no one, you know, to no one really cares about where it's made because they just want the iPhone. They want the brand. They want the experience. And us loyal iPhone people judge the green bubble. And oh, I know it's the same thing with iWear to some extent. You know, it's like safe, and we're not the only safe one. But it's like I'll buy all of like I don't want. I just got a job on Wall Street. Like, I got to get some Oliver Peoples or Garrett Light, right? Because I want my peers to be like, oh, he's cool, you know? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, well, it's it's tough, too, because, like, you know, earlier when we were talking about glasses, like, you know, my glasses are from this Japanese maker, and a lot of people are like, oh, who makes your glasses? Or, like, on Instagram, you know, I'll post a photo, and people want to know. Of course. And at first, I used to be really conscious about letting them know where it was. Because you didn't want anybody else to have them? Yeah, because I'm a vain, horrible person at times. I'll just tell you the truth, you know. And then recently, I was like, no, like this. I can't. I don't want to be that guy. My whole thing is I'm I'm a nice guy, so I can't not tell them. You know what you mean, though. And but that's that's the thing with with glasses. And so and you, you managed it's to like do the this. Hawaiian shirt, like hey. <laughs> we pulled up. So you built this brand. You've done you know you've done multiple collaborations with people that you know, you would never think would be an amazing collaboration, but it turns out to be the best. Like Justin Saunders. Oh, you did man, the, that was bit that was like, I've known Justin a while, but like that really went off. Of course it did. That, People love that dude. That guy's doing stuff for Virgil now. And I mean, he, he works with everyone. Yeah. That the John thing was big. How did that happen? I mean, obviously he's you, bought you the brand other. forever. Yeah. He's coming to the store. He's always liked me. I've always liked him. I never made it. I don't know if this mattered. I never made a big deal about like, I never was like pushed it super hard. We could have done it five years ago and just kind of let it be. I let him come to me. Yeah. 
And, um, well, how, how does a collaboration like that start? I mean, he, he just sat, he just was like, Hey man, I love your shit. I love you. you know, we know his aesthetic, right? It was yeah. right up his alley. Classic, simple. He had an idea and he proposed it to us. And I was, there was a no brainer. I was like, absolutely. I was, I've followed your blog from before forever. Yeah. This is like the Tumblr. Yeah, like the, you're, the you're greatest the mood board of all time. Yeah. You're the, you are, you are <laughs> exactly your Pinterest. So, um, it, it's just a no brainer. He just, asked, honestly, he just asked. It was, it was five, six years of knowing each other, seeing each other at the store when he would be in town, a couple emails here and there. Finally, just, uh, he just asked and, and I was like, absolutely. And you, you were nimble enough that you're able to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, we're independent. We can turn that around relatively fast. I mean, right. don't get me wrong. Like, it's still, there's stick, there's little earth, it creates little earthquakes in the company <laughs> for sure. Not everybody's happy. Right. And we were just doing our 2020 budget, and Jamie has a section that's just like Garrett's ideas or something that is just like, it's like a pivot budget area for what I need some just, R&D budget, man. I want to talk a little bit about like parents, parenthood, fatherhood. So you have, you know, you have two kids. Mm-hmm. How much of that has changed how you work and how you relate to your work? Trem- like tremendously. I, um, yeah, I just, I used to stay up super late thinking about work. It was easy. Didn't bother me. I'd stay up till three spinning and wake up at seven and go to work. And now it's like, I'm not in the office every day. I'm there as much as I need to be. I want to be home for, I, that's also my personality. Like I want to be home for bedtime. You know, I want to create experiences with my kids. I want to take them to school. Yeah. I don't pick them up that much, but I have, and I want to, I want, like, I don't know that probably stems from my childhood. Um, but like, I want, I just want them to remember that dad was around. Cause I do travel. I'm also on the road a hundred days. So you're on the road a hundred, probably days. close. I think this year was a little less cause it was very conscious, but this is like the first year was, and the next year's our 10 year anniversary. I think it's like a hundred days again. So it's made that, that separation. And, um, but it's also made me value like some things that are probably good for like mental health and physical health, which are just like, I play golf every other week cause I'm obsessed with it. Um, you know, I get acupuncture and massages and meditate. Like that's not necessarily related to kids, but you kind of need some of those things. Cause I mean, I haven't slept in five years really. Yeah. I'm clinging to that. It will get better in a weird way. You know, when I first came to New York, when I was trying to work, it was really all about me and trying to prove to my family or other people that, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, like I didn't need them and I could do all this stuff on my own. And then when my daughter was born, you know, and this is, I've been in New York for like 15 years now, my daughter's born, I, it was a bit of a panic button because now like your kids aren't going to, they're not going to just like take care of themselves. They're not going to go get a job. They're not going to make a living. Like they're not going to get their own health insurance. It's like, I now have this responsibility and it's been the craziest drive of how I work. The best thing in the world is being able to take care of your family. It feels really good. It feels really, really good. And I, I mean, I've bought a bunch of overpriced clothes and watches and dumb things and all that, that I thought would give me that high. And that best high is like your daughter being like, Oh yeah. Like they need you. And that's it. Yes. It is much greater high. (laughs) So to, to kind of like come full circle here. So the company's about to hit 10 years. Mm-hmm. You have, I mean, you're, you're almost running a victory lap right now in the sense that you built this company. You, like we were saying earlier, I mean, you'd started out as Larry White's son. Now, with all due respect to your father, it, it doesn't matter who your father is. You've done this on your own. You've built this incredible company. What are you trying to do now? Like, what are the next 10 years? Which is a pretty astronomical question, but... 
No, I think um, I want to continue to grow the company and we're exploring what it's going to take. I personally believe that um, one of our greatest strengths is our retail business and it's very expensive to grow retail. So I want to find a way to um, truly grow that business quickly. Like I, I would like to do a substantial amount of retail experiences at once. And obviously that takes money. And obviously that means looking into investment and, and whatever that might look like. Um, yeah. But I think that's truly our future is our e-commerce business, which is still small just because that's not my area of expertise. We've hired people, but we could do better. Um, and people, your e-commerce is great. Just to interrupt. It's a very, very good. I think, yeah, I think, well, we have it all on e-commerce. Like if you want it, like we've got some good storytelling and features and the products there. Um, it's just the stuff that you don't see probably could be better. The data analytics and the, all that, right. All that conversion funnel or whatever that stuff. Right. (laughs) So we don't really have that, level of thinking if you sure. will so finding a strategic partner to help with some of that stuff but ultimately the goal to continue to grow the brand to be kind of the greatest experience and eyewear luxury i guess ever um and i hope that the next 10 years looks like that and i think in order for us to get there we need to be continue to be innovative but also maintain like what we stand for and who we are which you know what it is but it's great quality great design great storytelling authentic you know uh, representation of myself and the brand and continuing to as long as that's what people want continuing to put that in mm-hmm. um but i mean you know because you said the r word i mean we're talking about retail you know barney's is j- shut down and a lot of these companies that haven't haven't been able to evolve are being forced to evolve, you know, and a lot of these things are e-commerce only or, you know, and something that I admire what you had said about what you guys have done in terms of storytelling is you've really created this entire experience on your e-commerce store, you know, and when you think about right now, like say, you know, tonight you go out to dinner and some friend of yours mentions a clothing company, what are you going to do? You're going to look it up on your phone. You're going to, you're going to check it out on on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see all that. And you guys have been able to build that really well, but being able to do that for something that, you know, more or less is as unique as, as glasses and, and how you guys have done that is, is really spectacular. Do you see that more and more in for how you purchase everything else that you're just digital first? Like how many times you go into a retail store now or store to get anything? Yeah. You know what? Um, I guess I am a millennial, but definitely an elder millennial. My uh, Elena's on this trip with us and we were talking about this on the plane, but like I, I actually everything on my body I bought in person. Well, you're wearing Goros right now around your neck. Yeah, and a wind and sea, which is Japanese. Yeah, and Jill Sander pants. What are we going to do the whole thing here? No, 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 no. I was. <laughs> but just... I bought them at Mohawk General Store. Like I, I like going. I'm still thirsty for like like that. I bought at a store. I mean, I, but I do. Like I'm fortunate enough to have an incredible group of friends yeah. that are real, like a Peskowitz who just really knows his shit, and I kind of learn from them. And or listening to a podcast and hearing the brands that people talk about. But what do I do? I go check out their digital experience, yeah. and that really makes it 360. That's like, okay, that dude thinks it's this. No, this shows me like they're they're killing it from they're getting me from all angles. So yeah, that completes it. I would never just not, not most likely I'm not gonna just go straight. You know, I'm gonna that's where you go. To yeah. complete the experience. Well, the the reason why, I mean, I wasn't trying to go through your whole outfit, but because you are wearing I Goros, yeah. um, you know, I, I want to give a very brief explanation about Goros, because Goros is something you more or less have to wait in line for to get. There, mm-hmm. You can't buy it online. There's a store in San Francisco. Really? That is insane, and I don't know why it's in San Francisco. I think it's just because this lady 
is in San Francisco with her life, but she has like a personal, he's passed away, but they have a personal relationship with the brand and she has like under the shelf in behind the thing, she has like a dozen and probably has like five now. And I opened my store in Hayes and that's where I got it. Oh, damn. This store, they don't have a store like this in LA. I've never seen a store like this in, in New York. This yeah. is like, I'm telling you, this lady is from Tokyo. Her whole family, everybody that works in there is her kids. Right, right. And it's dope. It's like they carry like the illest Japanese fashion, lots of baby clothes too, so it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's where I got it, actually. I was just like, I looked in there and I was like, that's not, what is that? And she's like, it's Goro's. Yeah, because like, Goro's, you have to wait in line. Oh, yeah. and you have to, you know, it's just for listeners aware, you have to get a raffle and then you wait in line. And then if your number's called, you get to go in there and you only get whatever they have at the day. And if they don't like you, they will politely just say they don't have it. Correct. Yeah. And so, oh, well, that's crazy. You just got it there. I don't even know if she has anymore. This was probably five, five years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, because Goro's is pretty hot. Yeah. Um, well, how much of, you know, because you mentioned Japan and I feel like when people talk about retail and there's few things that hold a candle to the experience of Japanese retail. How much of that has shaped your experience and understanding? God, Japanese retail is just on a whole nother level. And I can, it's cultural. Like I've tried to tell the staff, like pass out, like give it to them, give them the two handed business card, walk around the counter. But like we've got some great retail people, but, it's American kids, you know, it's just not, you can't, it's like, I would have to be more militant and micromanaging and I'm just not to, to, to recreate that. Um, but there's just, it's so thoughtful Japanese yeah. retail and not just retail, like the cool, like the, I don't know if you've been, have you spent much time there, but like a little bit bar Martha and bar tack. Have you ever been there? These, these, these bars that are, that's owned by one company, but they have all these records on the walls and you've been to a place like this, like these whiskey bars. Right. I mean, just every experience there. Somebody once told me, a guy who, our art director worked for us, who's Japanese fully, was just like, you just can't afford, the thing is, you can't be bad in Tokyo because you can't afford it. It's too expensive. So if you're not, you know what I mean? It's just too, you can't have bad food in Shibuya. Right. Because they won't make it. Right. Because you're paying, the rent's too much. Like everybody has to do it right. And it's probably, you know, he's probably being humble too. Like it's probably part of the culture, just the... Sure. They really want to do it right. But Well, it's, it's interesting because you talked about some of the service levels. And, you know, like in Japan, like one of the things they have, like you were saying earlier, you know, they hand you your business cards with two hands. But also if Packaging. you buy something, you know, how it's packaged. And oftentimes they'll walk you with your package out the to door. The door. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me at a store in New York. And I was like, what? what? A little too much maybe though there. Well, you know? it, it, it felt weird Foreign because... I was like, I bought it already. Like, just hand me the bag. Like, why are you walking me to the door? And it threw me off. But I was like, oh, if I would have been in Japan, this would have been like, yeah, man, go for it. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> you have to find the balance because yeah. it doesn't totally make sense. Yeah. I think the two-handed handing of the credit card is fine. But oh, yeah. yeah, maybe walking out the door, it's a little bit like, I don't know. I mean, we're just different. Americans are just different people. Yeah. I mean, is that is that affected any of the other stuff of how you've like chosen to do your business in terms of like how European sales culture is and, and Japanese sales culture. I mean, we've always done our business the way that like we kind of do it, but you have to, you, you know, you end up hiring people that are an extension of you, whether it's sale reps or whatever, and they're going to do the business. Like they're managing their business within a business. So mm-hmm. the way that we operate in Europe is different than the way that we operate in the States and the way that we operate in Asia. And it's, and it's, it's not, it's it's somewhat dictated by the 
the partners that we've chosen. So, um, and then, you know, we have, you know, we built up a, a, a real operation where there's a management team there that is European and you got to do it differently. You can't just be one way. It's, we're dealing with all kinds of cultures, people, personalities. Yeah. Um, you know, the goal is to just have cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to pay your bills. And- yeah. As long as it doesn't hinder our ability to survive. Yeah. Then, you know, we're willing to, to do things differently if we have to. That's but, great. Yeah. I was born into the eyewear thing and I became a nerd because I just, I think it just, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But, and now um, for our collaborations next year and celebrating our 10 year anniversary, we've done some really cool stuff and made some ancillary products that complement the brand. And um, that's probably what I'm most excited about to celebrate. But like, I think for me, it's nice. I, I, not nice. I think it's, I think it's been important to like my creative soul to be able to contribute because I do have a vision and a point of view, but I definitely am not an expert and I respect that whole process and I have a lot to learn, but it's been really nice to collaborate with those people and have them allow me to participate in the design of their products. Five years ago, that felt not within the realm. Uh, we're looking back on, on the brand over the last 10 years and creating content and film and all these things um, that I'm really excited about too. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Thank you. I mean, and I say that too, because, you know, like we were talking about earlier, this, things are so fast where you think about like you know, brands that had started that long ago, like, where are they? And like the fact that not only you've been able to do that, but become a brand that is starting to be in a good way. Like it's, it has different relations to different generations that interact with it. That's like, that's some Ralph Lauren stuff. That's a really big deal. So congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, well, dude, this was great. You've been listening to Blamo. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Blamo is edited by Brendan Finn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The ratings let others know we're doing something good. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast, or if you want, follow me at the Kirkland, or email us at info at blamopod.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in fashion, menswear, or just want to chat with other folks during the off-season, join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. All right, we'll see you next week.